how do we create a culture of grace at City Hills or, or how are we creating a culture of grace and how can we continue to grow in, in being a culture uh, of grace? Um, and here's just some things that I wrote down. It's not, not anything fancy tonight, but I just wanted to share from my heart. Uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes with us, here's some things I think we need to fight for in our, in, in, among us at, at City Hills. Number one, we cannot focus on outward appearance. If we're going to build a culture of grace here at, here at City Hills, we can't focus on outward appearance. We have to resist the urge to look at somebody and prejudge their intentions, prejudge their background, prejudge anything about them. We, we have to resist the human urge to just judge somebody based on their outward appearance. It's in your notes, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at, at things people look at. And I, I wish I could just replace that the Lord there with, with City Hills. That's what my prayer is, that people would say, City Hills, that church, they don't look at the things other people or other churches look at because people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God, let that be said of you and me. That when we look at people, resist the urge to look at somebody and prejudge who they are. Prejudge. What is prejudging? Prejudge. Prejudice. Prejudice. Prejudging someone because of who they are. What are some of the outward things we can look at? We can look at the color of someone's skin. Uh, the, the, the issue, this is the predominant issue of our society, predominant issue of our day. That, that racism. That you would prejudge someone based on simply because of the color of their skin. And I, I think we all face this in some way or another, whether on one side of the coin or the other side of the coin. Maybe you were raised in a, uh, in a home where comments were made, just the racist comments, racist environments. Um, I, I just, you know, that kind of stuff has no place in God's church. Um, a friend of mine here in town, Pastor Jamie Goldenberg, he says we need to take the R away and instead of racism, it needs to be gracism. And I said, brother, I like that. That's real good. Because that's what it should be. Uh, because the church is called to make a difference. The church is called to be the example. I wrote in my notes, the government cannot solve this problem. It's a spiritual problem. And, and when we get the grace of God to us and through us, we should create an environment where it really doesn't matter what you look like when you walk through the doors. Because we're not prejudging people. We're, we're looking at the heart. And Jesus was a master at turning people that hated certain types of people or prejudged certain people. And, and, and he would cut to the heart like the, the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure you've heard that story before. But kind of the, the, the cultural significance of that story was Samaritans were essentially people that the Jewish people were racist against. <laughs> and Jesus makes the hero of the story someone that they had prejudged to not be as valuable as them because Jesus was trying to show them God doesn't look at people like you do I, I'll say this I love the diversity of this church I feel like it's giving us influence in our city 
like never before because if we were all white church or if we were all black church or if we were all Hispanic church or all people that did this or that we would be a subculture of the culture and we couldn't affect the greater culture but if we can be a picture of heaven and a picture of our city in a building of grace a culture of grace then we therefore have the opportunity to influence and to make a difference in the gospel can go to places that it couldn't go anywhere else but it's the grace of God being among us how else could we judge somebody? The, the way they dress. We could judge them by the way that they dress. If they dress up, they dress down. If they're a hipster or if they're out of style. If you don't even know what hipster means. You dress old or you dress young. Or you, uh, let's not evaluate someone's spirituality if, based on these kind of things. And let's surely do not show people partiality based on the way that they look whenever they get out of their car or walk through these doors. Um, G James chapter 2 it's not in your notes but I, I thought man this is exactly what James is talking about he says simply this if a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit this is the message paraphrase and then a street person walks in wearing rags comes in right after them and you say to the man in the suit sit here sir it's the best seat in the house and then you either ignore the street person or say better sit here on the back row says, haven't you seg segregated God's children and proven that you are judges who can't be trusted? He said, guys, we can't, we can't look at the outward. We can't judge somebody based on the way that they look. We've we got to be a place of grace, a place of grace. And it's so human nature to check boxes and make ourselves feel good about our own religiosity. This is what the Pharisees did in the Bible. And we have to fight the urge. We have to keep our eyes on the grace of God and remember that we are, if not by the grace of God, I would be living in a way that, that you could, anybody, if, I, 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 the other day passing someone who was living on the street, you know, if not by the grace of God, that's where I would be. If not by the grace of God. In other words, I don't have any business judging anybody else because if it wasn't for, if the grace of God just came off of my life for five seconds, I could make the world. We are only five seconds away from making decisions that will destroy the rest of our lives. If not by the grace of God. Church, let's, let's don't prejudge people. Let's don't have prejudice in our heart. Let's love people. Let's give hugs and high fives and smiles. And Regardless of if what they look like, regardless of what they smell like, regardless of, of how they carry themselves, if they're quiet or if they're loud, let's, let's, let's let this be a place of grace. Amen? Here's the second thing. We must do the work. It's going to sound spiritual. I'm gonna, I'll explain it. We must do the work of an evangelist. We must do the work of an evangelist. Maybe you're like, well, I don't, I don't wear white shiny suits. I don't know that if I can be that, that. I don't know what that means. That's not what I mean, that you have to sell your house and go on the road traveling, preaching. That's not what I'm talking about. But Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the gospel. He says this. Timothy was a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And um, um, history records that Ephesus was one of the biggest churches um, in, in the early church. Over 2,000 people would worship on a, on a, on a week um, on, on the Sabbath day whenever they would come together. And it says this, but you, Paul writing to Timothy, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all your duties for ministry. And I, I just found it interesting that he tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. What is an evangelist? An evangelist is someone who wins souls. An evangelist is someone who has a heart to reach people that are lost. 
And essentially what he's telling Timothy, and I really appreciate this, and it really speaks to me because he's saying in all of the trappings of ministry and pastoring the church and dealing with hardships and all the ups and downs of just everyday ministry, God's pastoring thousands of people. He said in the everyday, do not forget that it's not ministry is not all about all of these other things you're doing. It's not about all the plans you're making and all the creative things you're doing. Don't ever forget you and I are always called to reach for souls. Because as a church grows, it's so easy to make it all about ourselves. And, and, and it's not because we're, we're trying to be selfish, but you know what? I know you, and I don't know the person that walks in the door that I don't know. So it's a lot easier for me to walk up to you and talk about our life because, hey, we're, we, we have similar interests, and we've known each other, and we have some history. And, and what I believe Paul was telling Timothy is always keep your focus outward and not just inward only. So as a church family, let's always be evangelists. So as people come among us, let's don't be kind of in our own huddles and talking about our lives. And I say this, please talk about your life. Please do life with each other. And we do. And that's what I love so much about uh, City Hills. We are family. But when other people have the opportunity, like let's welcome more people into the family is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, and, and we do that through kindness. We do that through conversation. We do that through being uncomfortable. We do that through when someone walks up, we don't finish our, com our conversation with someone we already know, but we do the work of an evangelist. We consistently, constantly are, are not neglecting the lost around us. Essentially, church is not just about you and me. Church is about reaching people. It's not about cleaning people up. Uh, Billy Graham said this, it's the Holy Spirit's work to convince, to convict. It's God's, ju God's job to judge, to judge. It's my job to love. And I, I think that's so true. That, that we're called to catch fish, not clean fish. So, so we just love people. We just welcome them right way, the way they are. And we, we, we allow people to belong before they believe. We allow people to belong just the way they are, even if, they're, um, they, even if they don't yet believe, even if they still have questions. It's, this is a safe place. It's grace. It's, an, it's a culture of grace. We, when, when, we're, when we're talking to people, we include people. When we go out to eat with each other, we invite other people to come. Are you seeing what I'm saying? We're constantly looking to the distance and who can we reach. We're an evangelist. We're an evangelistic culture that, that loves, loves people. And obviously, we, and I'm talking about the context of the church family. Obviously, we're called to reach people in our world. And I'm not trying to, to say that only, but let's be a culture of that. Here's the third thing. The value we have to fight for is simply this. We need the anointing above all. We need the anointing above all. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I was reading Luke chapter 4. Um, and, and all throughout this, this chapter in the Bible, it always talks about the Holy Spirit being upon Jesus. Uh, it, or the, Jesus being, verse 1, Luke 4, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Luke 14, 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. So notice, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind 
and to set the oppressed free. Jesus said simply this, I, my anointing, the anointing that I have on me is to make a difference in the lives of other people. That's the purpose of the anointing in my life. Um, what, what is the anointing? The anointing is simply it's the power and presence of the Holy Spirit being active in your life. And if I could say that, we, as a church, this is not an option. As a church, we are called to, to, to do everything we can to make sure the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is active among us. Because it's the anointing, that's what Jesus was saying, it's the anointing that's on me that's breaking the yokes of bondage on other people. Our best planned, best executed, perfect sermon and perfect song and perfect greeting in the parking lot and perfect signage and perfect building, perfect, perfect everything without the anointing is nothing. But, 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 but with the anointing, a little bit with the anointing of God, the anointing of God can break yokes of bondage and, and can, can, can see, let people see the power of God and see the love of Jesus. And, and that's why the anointing of the Holy Spirit is not an option here at City Hills. It's a, it, it's a must. It, it's, it's what matters more than anything else. It's, it's why before the church began for 21 days, we fasted and prayed before there were any people in the church. We prayed that the anointing would be in the church. Because if the anointing's in the church, then there's gonna, and, and someone walks in, the power of God's gonna touch that person and change a life. And they're not gonna say, oh, this church is great. They're gonna say, oh, this God is great. God is awesome. God is, aw and that's what we want. And so that's, I, I, wrote, I wrote some things down in my notes. How, what draws the anointing? What draws the anointing? And, and I, I, I just, I simply put this. I believe I experience the anointing of God when I get out of my comfort zone. When I'm in me, when I'm in Brandon mode trying to impress you, God's like, all right, go ahead. I hope it works out for you. <laughs> but when I'm at a place of desperation, that's why, Jason, I appreciate you, buddy, up here today just kind of letting God uh, move and you're singing. And why? Because when you kind of get at the end of yourself a little bit, God says, awesome, let me show you what I can do now. That it's not all about you. It's about you're giving room for me. That's why prayer is so powerful and important. That the foundation of us being a praying, seeking after God people. That, that it, 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 when, when I came here this morning, uh, when we were praying, I just was, had my head down in, in the chair up here down front and just simply saying, Lord, thank you. God, unless your presence comes into this place, Nothing else makes any difference. Like it's the only thing that matters, and uh, and and, and that's, that's that brings the anointing when we pray, when we fast, when we make fasting and prayer not just part of our twenty-one day experience that we do twice a year, but this is part of who we are. Also wrote down when we worship God with an abandon. The Scripture says that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. So as we worship God out of our comfort zone, and usually out of our comfort zone, at least for me, means me not worrying about what you think about me. Because that's what holds us all back. Because we, we want to worship God with all of our hearts. We want to we you know, carry the TV every once in a while. You ever seen that? You want to carry the TV? Or you do a, my fish is this big, God. Or every once in a while, you want to give God a touchdown, you know? Or a heartburn, you know, heartburn. 
<laughs> but we want to get out of our comfort zone and worship God, but we don't do what we want to the way we want to express because we're worried about what somebody else thinks about us. But when we get out of ourselves, when we get into the presence of God, that's why I love some, sometimes at the end of, of service, people come down here, not, just, not because they need prayer, but they just want to get out of themselves and just worship God. What, what does that do? That draws the anointing, I believe, because it's, it's at the end of ourselves. When we reach the end of ourselves, God says, okay, you've reached, you're at the beginning of who I am. Here's the fourth thing. So, 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 so we've talked about um, we can't focus on outward appearance. We have to do the work of an evangelist. Uh, we need the anointing above everything else. Um, number four, we, we fight for unity. We fight for unity. It sounds like an oxymoronical statement, doesn't it? We fight for unity. But what I've learned is that anything unified will have to fight the devil to stay that way. Any marriage that's unified will have to fight the devil to stay unified. Any church that's unified will have to fight the devil to stay unified. Why? <coughs> Sorry about that. Because the enemy knows this, that unity is the most powerful force in the world. Even God said about those who were building the Tower of Babel, if I don't stop them, if I don't confuse their languages, they're going to be able to do what they have planned to do. God says, there, when people get unified together, it's powerful. So he divided the languages and they spoke all these different languages so they had to create their own culture um, apart in their own languages and that's why, um, just a little, little Bible for you, that's why on the day of Pentecost when the church began, God, they all, what, did, what happened? God, they all spoke in other tongues, they all spoke languages, what? But this time God wasn't separating the people by this, these languages, he was actually gathering the people from all nations to the church of the living God on the day of Pentecost. It was a Mount Sinai experience, but it was the reverse. In the, begin, in the beginning, he, he used it to take people away, but at the end, on the day of Pentecost, when the church began, he said, okay, all these different cultures and different people from all over the world, we're going to show you what the church is going to look like, and it's for everybody. Amen. So unity brings the anointing. That's why Acts chapter 2, that what I was talking about there, it says when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, unified. And then suddenly a sound came from heaven like a violent wind, and you can read the rest. It filled the house, and God, the church was born. But, but before that suddenly happened, they, were, they had unity. Because unity is so powerful, it attracts the presence of God like never before. Uh, the, the scripture says this in Psalm 133 too. I think this is in your notes. It says how good and pleasant it is for God's people to live together in unity. What's it like, God? He says, it's like the precious oil on the head running down to the beard, running down Aaron's beard. Aaron was the priest. Down on the collar of his robe. What was he saying? He says, unity is like the anointing. Unity brings the anointing of God. In church, we fight for unity. We, 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 we fight because all that God's doing at City Hills, I promise the enemy's trying hard to fight it. And you may tell you how he fights it. He fights it through disunity. And how you know if you're being used by the enemy is what comes out of your mouth. The scripture says, says this. It says there are six things God hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Um, 
King James version that I grew up learning says seven are an abomination. So it's a big deal. He said, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness that pours out lies. And what's the seventh that God hates more than anything? A person who stirs up conflict in the community. Or I learned it as a man who sows discord among the brethren. So in other words, when, 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 when you sow discord, when, 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 you, when you speak discord, it, it's, it's destroying the unity that God wants to create. Um, so, 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 so what do we do? What do we do? We, we forgive each other. Um, Jesus talks so much about this. This is not in your notes, but I have it in mind. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It says, your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault, but do it just between you two. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So I'm not saying tonight we don't have conflict with one another because we do. But Jesus is saying there's a right way to deal with this. In other words, we're fighting not against each other. We're fighting for unity. So we're going to make sure that we're walking together. We're lifting each other up. And if I have a problem with you, if you have a problem with me, if you have a problem with each other, you know, it's so, it's so easy just for to be like, praise the Lord. I just worship God with all my heart. I can't stand that person that's over there next, you know, over there, but I just want to worship God, you know. And Jesus says this in, in Matthew 5, 23. He says, hey, if you're at church and, and, and you're about to give in the offering, you got a gift in your hands about to take it to the altar, and then you remember you have, you're, you've been fighting with a brother or a sister, Jesus says this, forget giving the, giving the offering and go get reconciled to your brother or sister. Jesus says, I care more about the unity among the family of God than I even do about you giving your offering. So a lot of times we come to church and we give and we worship and all these things and God's like, well, I really wish you'd just get reconciled between that person you've had a problem with or you've had a falling out with last month or whatever. I'm just trying to help us tonight. What is this? Culture of grace. We forgive one another. We, we, we don't spiritualize and... No, no, no. We, we forgive one another. We love one another. We, we leave our gifts. We, we, we watch our tongue. Um, gossip. My pastor taught me that gossip is, is, is discussing a negative with someone that can't solve the problem. Uh, you know, be a, be a problem solver. Discuss what's going on with somebody that can help you. That's not gossip. That's helping. And, and this is, what is this? We're fighting to have a culture because the enemy is, 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 the enemy is trying so hard to stir up things. And I'm not saying this because there's, there's nothing that I know of. I'm not, this is not, this is just how do we keep doing this? How do we keep having a culture of grace? And here's the fifth thing. We believe that God can restore. How do we have a culture of grace? We believe that God can restore. I just believe that every single time we gather, even on a first Wednesday night, that God can restore someone's body, their soul, their spirit, their marriage, their life. I believe that God is a restorer. And church, because God's a restorer, we as a church are called to be restorers. That when someone walks in here that have been caught in a fault, when someone among us gets caught in a fault, that, that, that we have an opportunity to, to, to be a culture of grace. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, um, there in your notes at the bottom, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, 
watch this, so good. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. That, that, that our job, our godliness, the true test of what kind of church we are is when someone sins or when someone walks in with an issue, what are we called to do? We're a people of restoration. We're not prejudging people because of what they've done, but we love them right where they are and we're gonna connect them with the hands of a God that's gonna restore. See, see, it's not us that can do the restoring. It's us saying, you know what? I'm gonna connect you to a God who's the restorer. And, and, and we're that agent as a church of restoration. And, and, and I don't know about you, is there anybody in this place that God's restored your life? That you don't deserve to be here? That, that, that you can honestly say that God's restored me? I've made some big mistakes. God, I do not deserve, and I, I'll be right here, I do not deserve to hold this microphone. It's the restoration love of God. And I could take it a step further. God's good people that love, have loved me, and cared for me. And church, that's what we get to do for others. The same grace that God showed to us, he showed it to us. He sh we're, still, we're called to let it show through us, but let it always be among us. Let this be a culture that people walk into and say, man, there's something different. I belong here. Why do I belong here? Because this is culture of grace. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Lord, you've changed my life. You keep changing my life. Lord, as I think about that prodigal son from Sunday, Lord, you put a ring on my finger and clothes on my back. And Lord, you always give me what I, more than what I could ever deserve. Lord, help me to see other people the same way that you saw me. And help me not to prejudge people. Lord, help our, help our church family. Lord, let this be the most grace field culture grace filled environment let people be able to cut it with a knife let people be able to feel it tangibly the grace of God man these people love me and they love each other and they love God I want to be in this place of grace church isn't about a building it's about a group of people that come together and show grace that's why people come to a business park and a side road and not because it's some cathedral but because it's a culture of grace and Lord help us never to lose, lose that God help us never to lose sight of that grace that's changed our lives